According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, we're looking at verses 21 through 25. No, we're not. We're looking at 17 through 21. That's what we're looking at. 17 through 21. 17 through 21 is the introduction to everything that follows, the 30 sayings that follow, starting in verse 22. And so I want to get right back to where we left it, Uh, kind of looking at the calendar, looking at 19 more Wednesdays between now and the end of the year and trying to figure out, um, you know, where where we're going to stop when we do stop for the through the Bible year. So I don't know if we can get through all 30 of these sayings or not. It'd be kind of nice if we did, but that's uh, that's in the Lord's hands, too. Before we get started today, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time in His truth, shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning thankful for truth, thankful that You are the God of truth, thankful that Your absolute truth is our standard for our thinking, for our living, for all that is said and done. And Father, although we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You are the faithful one, Father. We thank you for that. We call upon your faithfulness this morning now as you open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so point five in the outline. The the introduction... I've been here. I've been in this building since eight thirty. Been talking to Ed for the last hour. It's not until I stand in the pulpit. There's something in this pulpit that gets to me. I don't know. All right. The introduction to this section reminds us of the introduction to Proverbs itself, and it does form an introduction in verses seventeen through twenty-one. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you? All right, so this is the introduction, and it's designed to encourage us to to get us excited. Man, the stuff that follows is is life changing. The stuff that follows is eternal and powerful and glorious. And uh, there's there's no downside to learning Bible doctrine. <laughs> All right, when you're when you're living in the wisdom of God's word, not just academically taking in information, but you're actually living in the Word of God, and the Word of God is living in you. It's described as a pleasant life, and we're going to touch upon that today. In fact, it's kind of the main deal for today. I want to talk about what does it mean to have a pleasant life, because this world certainly can't figure it out, but God has told us uh, what it means to have a pleasant life, and that's what we're dealing with here. The inclined ear expresses an eagerness. When it says incline your, he- your ear, that's now hear this, or listen up, or you know, you cock your ear like this, you, you, you put your hand behind your ear like this so that you can form a little noise funnel to, to hear better, to listen closer. 
It speaks to an eagerness. It speaks to an attentiveness that not only are you excited about listening to what you're listening, but you're paying attention to what you're listening to because you want to take in every detail. You don't want to miss even the smallest of the fine print because every jot and tittle is eternally edifying. So we've got to take in the Word of God with this kind of an eagerness. And uh, it's used of believers that are eager to learn the Word of God as opposed to the take-it-or-leave-it attitude that most Christians have today that 21st century American churchianity is kind of a, uh, uh, a lukewarm existence. You know, the Bible is nice, you know, as far as it goes, but they don't pay a lot of attention to it. And uh, it's sad because the very living and abiding Word of God is what sustains us. And uh, this lackadaisical attitude hostile to the Bible is contrary to what the Bible says about itself. And so uh, I think, of course, I'm preaching to the choir here at Austin Bible Church, but um, and I'm not bashing other churches. I'm just saying if you don't have the eagerness, if you're not on the edge of your seat waiting for the next class to start, then you're not imitating the example that this passage would would speak to or any of these passages would speak to from Psalm 45 to Psalm 49. We can't reread all these. We read them a couple weeks back. But uh, the eagerness to hear and learn the Word of God. It's also used in appeals to God for prayer. So many times the psalmist, the, the other writers of Scripture, Christians in the Old Testament very frequently commanded God to listen. They would order God to incline His ear Say, God, listen to me when I'm calling. Listen to me. Are you hearing my prayers? Very frequently used in appeals to God in prayer for His eagerness to hear our prayers and provide. So it's an eagerness in both directions, whether man's doing it or whether God's doing it. When you have an inclined ear, that means you're, you're quick to hear. And that's what we're all commanded to be. And then finally, the book of Jeremiah contains eight indictments against Judah for not inclining their ear to hear the Lord. And we ran out of time and didn't really get to this. And at first I wasn't going to really go through them at all. But I think it's useful. I think it would be beneficial because we see the same parallel in America today that was the case for Judah before Judah's captivity. And uh, so I think it's a worthwhile pursuit to, uh, to see what these passages are about, starting with Jeremiah 7, verse 24. I keep losing my phone tips. Ooh, I know. <laughs> there we go. There's a value in it, though. It's a windscreen that keeps my heavy breathing from showing up on the, on the audio recording. All right, Jeremiah 7, 24 and 26. You'll notice... And this is part of a larger context, but um, you know, if a religious people thinks that just being religious is sufficient, they're wrong. They got to realize that Doug, they got to realize that the uh, religion has to be uh, reflected in the reality of their walk. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in all the way which I commanded you that I may be well with you. The issue is obedience. Are we God's people or not? Are we doing what He wants for us to do? Are we in His will? Because if we're not in His will, then the external 
sacrifices and offerings and religion and all the rest of the, the legalism observance that you may, you may be the best in the world at following legalism observance, but the reality is not there. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. And it's tragic. And, and you know, believers that used to have a, a more stable walk than they have now, and uh, they don't have the maturity they used to have. Is there such a thing as retrogression? Is there such a thing as uh, returning to a spiritual immaturity when you used to have a considerable maturity? I believe there is. This and other passages speak to that. They went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came up out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them. So they're not deficient in doctrine. They're not deficient in information. They've had plenty of Bible teachers. You know, I think our nation has had plenty of Bible teachers you know, for all these years. And uh, culminating, I think, in the greatest of Bible teaching in the, in the 20th century was some amazing doctrine that's gone forth. And yet, where is our nation now? Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. This generation has more opportunity to learn Bible doctrine than any generation that's ever lived on the face of this earth. Seven days a week. I mean, it's just available. And uh, our culture is not redeeming the opportunity. Jeremiah 11 and verse 8 Yet, again, there's a context here that you see what preceded it is tragic because what follows is, is disappointing. Okay? Yet, they did not obey or incline their ear. You'll notice? Backing up to verse 6. The Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers in the day that I brought them up from the land of Egypt, even to this day, warning persistently, saying, listen to my voice. Remember when he brought them out of Egypt, when they got to Sinai, they were given the Mosaic law. They were given a very conditional covenant, a covenant that was full of if this, then that. If you obey me, then blessing. If you, if you disobey me, then cursing. They even had to rehearse those with six tribes on one mountain and six tribes on another mountain so they could rehearse back and forth the cursings and the blessings. And now when it comes down to it, they're on the guilty side of this equation. They have broken the covenant. They are completely flagrantly in violation of Mosaic covenant and they're going to go into captivity for it. But they knew better. They were accountable. Warning persistently, saying, listen to my voice, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked, each one in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I have brought on them the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but they did not. In other words, God's faithful. He's faithful to his promises, the, the faithful to bless and faithful to curse. And even when they go to captivity, it's a demonstration of the faithfulness of God. Understand after the great white throne, when every unbeliever goes to the lake of fire, it's a demonstration of the faithfulness of God. Then the Lord said to me, a conspiracy has been found. See, we think we're all new about conspiracy theories. You know, these have been around. And here's the Lord. The Lord's preaching it. All right. <laughs> We're going to let that go. 1723, yet they did not listen or incline their ears. Notice how many of these start with yet, right? And every time you're starting a sentence with yet, you realize, man, this is sad. 
This is sad because you know what preceded that is something great that God was doing and then faithlessness on the part of man. Yet they did not listen. Thus says the Lord, let me back up to verse 19 here. Thus the Lord said to me, go and stand in the public gate through which the kings of Judah come in and go out as well as all the gates in Jerusalem and say to them, listen to the word of the Lord, kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who come in through these gates. It was a very public ministry. Remember the Old Testament prophets had a unique role in the theocracy of Israel. We don't have a similar role. Uh, I don't go down and stand in front of the mayor's office and preach at him and shout at him to listen to the word of the Lord, okay? Uh, Because we're not a theocracy and I'm not an Old Testament prophet. Uh, The church age is not Israel and we understand there's distinctions to be found. But this is what the Old Testament prophets had to do. Thus says the Lord, take heed for yourselves and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. You know, it's like... um, a truck stop on the highway and, and a way station and here's these truckers flying by and wait a minute it's the sabbath How, what are you doing working you shall not bring a load out of your houses on the sabbath day nor do any work but keep the sabbath day holy as i commanded your forefathers so is the issue the ritual or is the issue obedience that's what it comes down to a covenant people in the will of god or out of the will of god Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. And so here we start to see in this, what is this now, the third or the fourth indictment in the list, we start to see again, they're they're disobedient to the plan of God and they're actively, eagerly pursuing their their income, their prosperity, their temporal life pursuits. You know, they're not willing to take one day off in seven for their, uh, their income, for their career, or for their, their work endeavors. You know, it's, it's uh, curious to me. That's why I love Chick-fil-A so much. They take Sundays off and they don't seem to be, you know, uh, on the verge of bankruptcy or going out of business. They're uh, one of the top places in the, in the country still. And, uh, and they're doing that six days out of seven compared to, you know, they're out doing these other guys trying to do what they're doing seven days out of seven. And uh, anyway, I just kind of like that. But it will come about if you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord. Now notice, even when he's convicting them, they still have the chance to repent. They still have the chance to stop what they're doing, to listen to the word of God, to, to learn from it, and to change their ways. If you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord, to bring no load in through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but to keep the Sabbath day holy by doing no work on it, then there will come in through the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. See, the promise of the coming kingdom, the promise of the, of the Davidic throne being seated, all of these prov- uh, promises are conditional upon Israel's repentance. Why do you think John the Baptist arose and said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? When the, when the king was about to be revealed and this unrepentant stiff-necked people were in no way prepared for, uh, for the kingdom's arrival. Jeremiah 25, 4. we can back up to verse 1 the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year 
of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So you know what this coincides with, right? This coincides with Daniel. This coincides with those boys being taken hostage, being carried off to Babylon. And uh, Jehoiakim remaining on the throne, supposedly at the, at the mercy of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, the threat of hostages. This is, we better learn from this. When your nation has hostages in a hostile place, then you're in a bad spot. You know, if you don't do what they want you to do, those hostages can be tortured and killed and all kinds of terrible things. You don't want to have hostages in a foreign country. I'm just saying. <laughs> Not to get political this morning. All right. Got to stop myself. But here's the marvelous thing. You know what I love? Is that Daniel and his friends were so, God had granted them favor in the eyes of the Lord. They had succeeded, that they were uh, uh, graduated from their school, they were in government office, they were doing marvelous. So when Jehoiakim does rebel, because he does rebel, those hostages aren't killed. Those hostages are, are useful to Nebuchadnezzar and they're thriving in Babylon. And I find that quite remarkable. Anyway, this is the context for Jeremiah 25. All right, Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. I can't imagine 23 years of ministry and not one message is ever responded to, <laughs> you know? It's a good encouragement, you know, after 25 years, you know, at least I think somebody's listened to something at least once. That's good. So that's better than, than Jeremiah had. And the Lord has sent you all His servants, the prophets, again and again. Jeremiah wasn't the only one. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell in the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. Okay? This is the indictment. And this is exactly what they're doing. This is what America's doing. We're not worshiping God. We're worshiping ourselves, our own gods, gods of our own imagination. We're worshiping the almighty dollar. We're worshiping government. We're worshiping everything under the sun. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Yeah, God's not impressed like we're impressed with our idolatry. We're impressed with the gods we build for ourselves. God's not impressed. He's angry. Our God is a jealous God. And so we see it described here. Again, because the Lord said, uh, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words. This is down to this nation in flagrant disobedience to the will of God. Jeremiah 34, 14. Eight separate indictments, eight separate um, observances of Israel's failure to incline their ear, their failure to listen. And it's not because there weren't any teachers around. He had given them prophet after prophet after prophet. Kept Jeremiah in the ministry all these years. Jeremiah 34, starting in verse 12. Thus, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, 
At the end of seven years, each of you shall set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You shall send him out free from you, but your forefathers did not obey me or incline their ear to me. They had procedures in place and they have not been following from the days of Moses to the present time. Although recently you have turned and done what is right in my sight, each man proclaiming release to his neighbor, and you had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name, yet you turn and profaned my name. So here's the thing. If you think that just a brief flash of repentance is going to spare you from judgment but it's not real, think again. Okay? So recently, oh yeah, yeah, we'll free our slaves. Okay? How stupid is that? How, what a, what a, so your city is surrounded. You're about to be destroyed. <laughs> and okay, tell my slave he can go free. How insane. We're all about to get killed. We're all about to go to captivity. You talk about mocking the Lord God of Israel. Yet you turn and profane my name, and each man took back his male servant, each man his female servant, whom you set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your male servants and your female servants. Oh, you know, you, you free your slaves, and then you say, oh, just kidding, and you take them back again. What, what in the world are these people doing? And so I think as we see these indictments and we go through the progression of these things, and I think we see worse and worse and worse circumstances related to their uh, idolatry, related to their, their blatant defiance of the will of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. So behold, I'm proclaiming a release to you. <laughs> okay, God says, how do you like me now? Here's a, here's a freedom. A release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence, to famine. I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Mm. There you have it. Chapter 35 and verse 15. This one's interesting. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, those words are observed. Now think about this because this is the contrast. And I think far frequently we may have similar issues with respect to family traditions, with respect to culture, with respect to um, political uh, loyalties, with respect to um, uh, patriotism, with respect to a whole lot of things. That we have an allegiance to these earthly things that puts our obedience to God to shame. Why is it that the tradition here of Jonadab is, is paid attention to, but Yahweh himself is ignored? So the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their, it says, their father's command, their ancestors' command. Do you know how many years have gone by here? How many generations? And you've got a tradition and you've got a culture and you've got a practice that you've just been following for all this time because 
the, your family expects it, your, your uh, culture expects it, your community expects it, and you hold a, a loyalty and an allegiance to something that uh, maybe you, nobody living even remembers why it started in the first place, but here it is now. So they don't drink wine to this day. This particular clan within, within Judah was complete teetotalers. All right? Which was unusual in, in the ancient world. They do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. Also I've sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, turn now every man from his evil way and amend your deeds. Do not go after other gods to worship them. See, and they don't see their deeds are even evil. They think they're good with what they're doing. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and your forefathers, but you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. Indeed, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have observed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not listened to me. Therefore, (laughs) oh, you guys are in trouble. All right? Anyway, that's an interesting chapter, Jeremiah 35. And then finally, Jeremiah 44. The word that came to Jeremiah for all the Jews living in the land of Egypt. So here's a crowd that thought they could escape Babylon, they could turn to Egypt for protection, they could find refuge in Egypt. The word that came, so uh, to those that were living in Migdal, Tapanese, Memphis, and all the land of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you yourselves have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are in ruins and no one lives in them because of their wickedness which they committed so as to provoke me to anger by continuing to burn sacrifices and serve other gods whom they had not known, neither they, you, nor your fathers. You just start inventing new gods. Yet I sent you all my servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, oh, do not do this abominable thing which I hate. And here we are, we're preaching the Bible, and the Bible talks about abominations. Does our culture want to hear it? Not for a minute. Not for a minute. Our Bible's the one that's wrong, that has to be updated or, or rejected or gotten rid of. They did not listen or incline their ears to turn from their wickedness so as to not burn sacrifices to other gods. Therefore my wrath and my anger were poured out and burned in the cities of Judah on the streets of Jerusalem, so they have become a ruin and a desolation as it is to this day. And then um, this Egyptian crowd is going to be judged as well. You know, the, the Babylonian crowd gets to return in 70 years. What does the Egyptian crowd get to do? Yeah, it's not good. All right, so there's the eight indictments. Incline your ear and hear. We want to be eager. We want to be eager as individuals. We want to be eager as, uh, as families. We want to be eager in our community. We want a nation to be eager for the Word of God. And uh, I just pray that the Lord brings that about because I don't know how to make it happen. <laughs> All right. Secondly now, there's a, there's a B part of verse 17. Proverbs twenty two seventeen. Let me get back to there. We've kind of, up till now, we've been focusing on the A part of verse 17. We've been 
centering on incline your ear and hear. But it's more than just hearing. There's an application that has to be made. It says in 17b, it says, and apply your mind to my knowledge. Apply your mind to my knowledge. So we have not only an eagerness, but we have an attentiveness. We have an application that gets made. We're listening and we're processing. So we're, we're listening, we're thinking, we're accepting what God says, and we're processing that. We're putting our own norms and standards, our own perspective, our own doctrine and residency, we're putting all of these things into play as we process what God has given us. Not just what did God say, but what does that mean? How does it relate to these other things God said? What does He expect of me to do with what He said? So it's more than just listening. It's processing and living the Word of God. And so we have attentiveness to not just listen, but pay attention. The same verb is used here in Job 7.17. What is man that you magnify him? That you are concerned about him. And I like that. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonder to behold as a puny dirt dust creature that human beings are. I mean, what is man? What is man? And yet God is concerned for us? God magnifies us? Us? So what is man that you magnify him and that you are concerned about him? That you examine him every morning and try him every moment? Man, we must be special. <laughs> okay, Not because we've earned it or deserved it. We clearly haven't. It's, it's just hard to fathom that you are concerned about him. God cares. You know? If he didn't care, we wouldn't be here. If, if he didn't care, where would we be? Would he, send a, would he send his son to die if he didn't care? So this whole idea of caring, this whole idea of being concerned, um, this is, this is the, the, the issue. So are we, when we're listening to the Word of God, do we care what the Word of God says? Are we concerned about why God's saying what He's saying? So we want to have, have an eagerness. We also want to care. We want to care about the Word of God that God expects us to live. And thank God that He does and that He sends His truth and that He directs our steps. That He's not just a, a negligent father that, that couldn't care less, right? That, that just, um, you know, uh, lets us do what, we, what we're going to do. Let's us destroy ourselves with self-destructive behavior and self destructive thought processes and, and all of the, the ugliness that, that sin can take us. Um, if, if God didn't care, He'd just let us do what we're doing. But He does care. And so He sends truth. He sends messengers of truth. He sends discipline. Anyway, I just enjoy this so much. What is man that you magnify Him, that you are concerned about Him, that you examine Him every morning and try Him every moment? Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Job is just, of course he's frustrated and he's, he's you know, but you can, you can hear it when he says, could you start caring about somebody else for a while? <laughs> you know, like Tevier and Fiddler on the Roof, you know, could you choose somebody else for a while? You know, we're the chosen people, but anyway. Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? 
Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I'm a burden to myself? Of course, here he's off track, but the principle is still the same. God cares, God loves us, God disciplines us, God works in our lives. And thank God for that. So the attentiveness that God has watching us day by day, you know, if He's counted the hairs on our head, I think He's paying attention. All right? The attentiveness that God displays towards us is what we're expected to portray or what we're expected to have that attentiveness, that care, that concern for the Word of God. We're eager to hear it and we care what it has to say. We're applying our mind to to process every last bit of it. It's a glorious thing. All right. And uh, of course the idiom that we have in 2217, nope, Proverbs. Apply your mind to my knowledge. Comes back again in 24 and it comes back again in 27. Apply your mind to my knowledge. I love that. That's an order. Apply your mind. It's like in the New Testament when we're told to be sober in all things. Just focus. Apply your mind to this. Now that takes effort. That takes energy, which is probably why it's not popular. (laughs) It's much easier just to mindlessly listen and just as a religion just do what you're told. And you can mindlessly listen and do what you're told and you can, it doesn't take a lot of thought. Just do what they tell you to do. And, uh, and just, you know, your religion will, will carry you through, theoretically. Not how God designed the Christian way of life. He wants us to listen and He wants us to apply our minds. Proverbs twenty four thirty two. You know, I use this in um, the newsletters. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. There's a value in meditating on the Word of God. There's a value in revisiting doctrines. There's a value in taking a fresh look at something, even if you know it well. When I looked, I reflected upon it. So apply your mind. Apply it again. Apply it again. See, we're finite creatures. We can never exhaust the infinite truth of God's Word. So I looked and I received instruction. Oh wow, you know what? I took a second look and I picked up a few things. I took a third look, I picked up a few things. That's why I'm looking forward to doing through the Bible all over again and seeing, seeing what we learned in the last 20 years, seeing of what's improved, what's, what's uh, changed, what's, uh, what's been made better, what's been adjusted, what's been tweaked. And uh, not to beat myself up over all the things I got wrong 20 years ago, okay? <laughs> but just to say, you know what, that's, kinda, that's the conviction I had 20 years ago. And, uh, and I learned some things since then. So how about that? And uh, I expect 20 years from now I'll learn a few more things. There'll be even more adjustments. So when I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. This is why every month in a newsletter when it comes out there's reflections from the previous month. What did we learn last month? I appreciate that. 27-23 Know well the condition of your flocks. Pay attention to your herds. These are imperatives. In fact, any shepherd needs to pay attention to this. And this is true for not only local church shepherds, but any shepherding capacity. Husbands to their wives, parents to their children, employers to their employees, uh, presidents to their nations. Um, You know, not leaving your citizens captive in a foreign country, abandoning them as hostages. (laughs) Just saying. 
Know well the condition of your flocks. Pay attention to your herds. Are you aware of what's going on? Because you're accountable. You're responsible. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass disappears, the new growth is seen, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. Anyway, it goes on. There's a larger context there. But the command to know well, to pay attention, to apply your mind, to process, to think. Sometimes when you're observing things and you're thinking things through, then sometimes you don't have to wait to, be listen, to listen to be told what to do. You know what to do based on what you've previously listened to, based upon your, your present growth, your present maturity. It's the applied mind. All right, which gets us now to verse 18. See all these benefits. Again, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips. It will be pleasant if you keep them within you. So these are all the benefits you have for living and abiding in the Word of God. The benefits that you have for studying God's wisdom. You have a pleasant life, a pleasant existence. Abiding in the Word of God is a pleasant existence. The adjective na'im, na'im, strong as number 5273, na'im, N-A-I-Y-M. And that apostrophe is the ayan apostrophe, not the, not the aleph apostrophe. So it's a, it's a closure over the throat. My Hebrew teacher told me, try to swallow, cough, and, and, and uh, sneeze at the same time and you'll almost get it right. <laughs> okay? um, but the na'im that you have here, 5273. And uh, in the, we were reading the book of Ruth on Sunday and Ruth's mother-in-law, what was her name? Naomi. Naomi comes from this same adjective. Naomi, pleasant. Okay? And I don't know that she considered her life very pleasant, but that's what her name means anyway. So you can think about Naomi and think about pleasant. But abiding in the Word of God is a pleasant existence. And it's so simple. And yet here we live in a, in a culture, and it's always been this way I'm sure, where fallen humanity struggles to have anything pleasant. And they redefine what it means to be happy. They redefine what it means to live a pleasant life. Let's look at some of these. I'm going to start with yeah, it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips. You know, sitting in the Bible with the Bible closed on a shelf or in a drawer, does that make, is that pleasant? Or how about the scriptures in your heart? Is that pleasant? That's where it becomes pleasant. That's right. If you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips. You're so full of truth, you're so full of doctrine that it's the, it's the first thing that comes to your mouth. It's, uh, it's like whatever, uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. I mean, you can tell very quickly where a person's mind is by the first thing that comes to their mind when, when presented with something, say. And uh, if, all I, uh, if all a person ever does is, is watch uh, you know, baseball all the time and you know, seven days a week and they're eating, breathing, sleeping baseball and, and they, can, they can run off the stats, they can tell you who's pitch, who pitched last night, who's pitching tonight, who's pitching tomorrow night, they got the whole five-man rotation memorized. 
They know who's on the, the disabled list. They know, I mean, just every stat imaginable. And they live, breathe, sleep, talk baseball constantly. And so that's their life. That's what they're accustomed to. And they like it. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. You know, or golf or bowling or whatever. Scrabble, whatever, whatever your hobby is. You do it. You have fun with it. And, and it's pretty easy to talk about because your mind is always dwelling on those things. And then you want to talk about Scripture and say, well, tell me about Romans 8.28. And it's like pulling teeth. They hadn't thought about the Bible in ages. It's not something they're accustomed to thinking about. It's not something they dwell in. It's not something that, oh man, let me think. Let's see. Yeah, I, I used to own a Bible somewhere, you know. Or, uh, yeah, it's just, this is what happens. So I like this when it says, keep them within you that they may be ready on your lips. It's like, uh, you know, you've got, you've got one in the chamber. <laughs> you done cocked the, the hammer back and that you got a, you got a round in the chamber. It's ready to go, ready to fire off at a moment's notice with just a, a quick trigger pull. That's what we should be with doctrine in our souls, like having, having a round in the chamber. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. Yeah, 1 and 2 is what we don't want to do. 3 and 4 is what we do want to do. And by the way, this is the same section that we're about, that we're starting now in these words of wisdom, okay? By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is talking about our life. This is talking about the benefit we have in the Word of God. And it doesn't matter uh, what, what uh, your physical house might look like, how many square feet, the, the, the furnishings and the, the uh, decor and uh, the opulence or the, or the, the humility or any, anything in between, okay? Could be a mansion, could be a shack. But when you're living in the Word of God, your house, your family, your people, your, your, um, your dwelling living in the Word of God, you're filling the rooms with knowledge, with, pre- with precious and pleasant riches. So you can be as poor as the widow and her two mites, and you could have the most opulent house ever because you're living in the Word of God. It's a pleasant existence. And I like that. All right, now let's back up to the Psalms. All these are Naim uh, applications. The Lord is, my, is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. What a, what a marvelous statement. What a powerful truth. Here we are living amongst the people that uh, are all mad at everything. You know, and, and they think that uh, you know, life has dealt them a bad deal or they they, uh, you know, they're jealous, they're coveting, they're envious against other people that think that they won life's lottery and all this other stuff. And they're looking at other people's circumstances being better and their circumstances being worse. And they're grumbling about how terrible this life is. And the sadness is we're all available to have any pleasant life because the Word of God is for all of us. So the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. That's my lot so did I draw the short stick? No, I drew Jesus. Jesus drew me. How about that? Okay. I didn't draw a short stick on anything. 
I'm saved by grace through faith and I wouldn't trade that for the world. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. You know, I'm not going to grumble over you know, the, 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 the property lines, right? The boundaries of you know, the line got drawn here and oh, how come he got a bigger lot than I did? Why does he rate that? By the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God I have what I have. I'm, this life is so short anyway, who cares? Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So pleasant places, beautiful heritage. I'm saved by grace through faith. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. (laughs) The best kind of counseling in the world. You don't have to pay $120 per billable hour. Take in the Word of God, occupy yourself with Christ, meditate upon it, dwell upon it, and uh, go to sleep in fellowship. (laughs) And uh, then dream sweet dreams as the Word of God can counsel you while you're sleeping. I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Oh yeah, by the way, there's physical health benefits as well. (laughs) But we're just talking about a stable soul. We're talking about a pleasant existence living in the Word of God. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is a messianic promise that applies to Jesus Christ, but through Christ it applies to all of us. We're guaranteed the resurrection in Christ. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Pleasures forever. And we get a whole world that's in the frantic pursuit of happiness and these pleasures are right there, available for us in the Word of God. It is a pleasant existence. Psalm 133 in verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now this was true in the tribal circumstances of Israel in the Old Testament and it's even more true in the, in the church application today in the New Testament because we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we have this blessing to dwell in unity as we're growing in the Word of God. That's why Romans 14 is so powerful. That's why we make these applications as, as we give brothers and sisters time to, to grow up and, and come to their faith convictions and make their applications and do what they're doing. And so we dwell in unity. We accept the one who's weak in faith, not passing judgment on, his, on him for his opinions. And he's living his life, I'm living my life, and if we make different choices, well then praise God. Okay? But we're going to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard. We have a family. God has blessed us with a family in Christ. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Psalm 147 in verse 1. Praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. (coughs) It is naim. And praise is becoming. (coughs) And folks, <coughs> for folks that don't think their life is very pleasant, probably aren't praising the Lord very much. Yeah. Praise Him. Praise Him. In all things, praise Him. Give thanks. Rejoice always. Praise Him. Instead of grumbling over all the criticism, praise Him. It is pleasant. 
praise is becoming. So abiding in the Word of God is a pleasant existence. Fourthly, subpoint D, trusting in the Lord prepares each believer to give an account. Trusting in the Lord prepares each believer to give an account. Stretch this out a little bit larger so we can see more of these verses together in their connected context. This paragraph is so unusual. Typically in Proverbs, you got one verse sitting there by itself with an A and a B part, but you have disconnected Proverbs from verse to verse to verse. Here we have a, a five-verse section, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. We have this uh, five-verse section that's introducing the, the 30 sayings. So we've seen in verse 17a, incline your ear. We've seen in verse 17b, apply your mind. We've seen verse 18, the pleasant life, living in the Word of God, where you have it internalized and you're speaking it, ready on your lips, you're praising God. Now, verses 19 through 21, now we've got consequences. Now we have the benefits for living in the Word of God. There is an increased trust. Verse 19 says, so that your trust may be in the Lord. You say, well, why do I need that? I thought I was already a believer. Yes, you're already saved. And just as you were saved, that's how you have to continue walking. Faith doesn't stop once you're a believer. That's the first step of your faith. Every step after that has got to be a faith step. We walk by faith, not by sight, so that your trust may be in the Lord. You know, the unbeliever who trusts in Christ for eternal life, that's just a momentary decision. But the believer who trusts in the Lord every moment of every day for his Christian walk, that's an ongoing experiential reality. And, And how do you do that? How do you build up your faith? Where does that kind of faith come from? Well, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So you've got to be taking in the truth. You've got to be living in the Word of God or you're not going to have the faith to walk the walk. So that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Isn't that great? Who's the you there? Me. Put your own name in there. Just write Bob Bolander in there. or Don't do that. What, write your own name in there. Okay. Your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today. Bible doctrine is, yes, we're a corporate body. Yes, we are uh, one body in Christ and we are a family and all of the corporate realities are true. But you want to know something else that's also true? You must individually learn the Word of God. Each individual is accountable daily for what you're learning. God the Holy Spirit lives in you to teach you the Word of God. And and you're held accountable. Each one of us is. As the Lord says, I have taught you, even you, today. So um, I think it's very personal. I think it's also very daily. When you have that, give us this day our daily bread, daily I want to be in the living and abiding Word of God. So that my trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. So ask myself, what have I learned today? Ask myself, when I go to bed at night, Lord, what did you teach me today? What did I learn today? Was there anything I missed? What was I supposed to learn today? I mean, I wasn't paying attention. All right. 
And then wake up each morning and say, all right, Lord, what am I going to learn today? What are you teaching me today? Don't let me miss it. Keep my eyes fixed where they need to be so that I learn what I'm supposed to learn today. So it's a daily process. I have taught you today, even you. Have I not written excellent things of counsels and knowledge? And this is where we get into, there is such a puzzle. There is such a, the, the manuscripts are all over the map. The, 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 the Hebrew variants are confused. You have the Kare, the Kathiv, you have the different readings. You have different translations. The Septuagint takes it somewhere else. The Aramaic Targums take it somewhere else. Um, a variety of English translations kind of pick and choose how they're going to handle it. Probably excellent things is not the best to handle it, uh, but this is where the number 30 can be found, depending on how you read the manuscripts. Have I not written to you 30 things? Again, as an introduction to the 30 sayings that follow. And uh, we do. We have 30 sayings that follow when we, uh, when we track, starting in, in verses uh, 22 and 23, that's excellent thing number one, okay? Words of wisdom number one there is verses 22 and 23. And we're going to track through all 30 of these excellent things. But the fact is, is that God is the teacher and God has put these things into writing. So thank God that we have a written canon of Scripture, that we have uh, the opportunity to learn, to apply our minds, and to give an account to give an answer. He doesn't just want us to know it so that we know it. He wants us to know it so that we communicate it to others, that we give an answer. Have I not written to you 30 things or excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth? That's so marvelous, the certainty. We're the ones that have the absolutes. It's this lost world that's drifting in the relative insanity that says there are no absolutes. We have the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you. Correctly answer him who sent you. I understand every one of us is accountable. Every one of us has been sent forth. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Every one of us is sent forth. Every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We have to give an account. We are accountable. Let me close with this. Because we have to give four different answers. And if I run out of time, I want to get them up there on the slide. Some of you have figured out that if they're on the slide, then you don't have to take pictures. I mean, you can if you want to. Take pictures. And I, I don't know, I make this, makes me want to smile. <laughs> but, um, but folks have figured out that they can go home and they can get on YouTube and this slide is on the YouTube video. And so they, get, they put it on YouTube, then they hit pause, and then they've got the whole slide right there. Cut and paste and do whatever you want with it. <laughs> but I have to give an account. And it's more than just to the unbeliever. I think we get this one, right? Don't we all know 1 Peter 3.18? To sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready. Alright. 
giving account to the unbeliever. I think I got a typo there. Okay. 3.15 Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And so, yes, we're accountable. We have the truth. These unbelievers that don't have the truth, where are they going to hear it if not from me? All right, and so I've got to give an account. I have to give an answer. I need to be prepared to do that. Also to our enemies, Proverbs 15, 28. I wonder what other typos I have on this slide. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So pondering how to answer. That's Proverbs 15, 28. Also to our dependents, our family members, our children, our flock. How do I give an answer? Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we want to be edifying in our speech. We want to be gracious in our speech. Colossians said, seasoned with salt. To those that are depending upon us, to our fellow church members, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members, we have to give an answer. Isn't it easier to give an answer if you're living in the Word of God? (laughs) You know? When you've got a brother or you've got a sister grieving over her husband in the hospital in the ICU... You want to encourage her? How about with the Word of God? 1 Timothy 4.16 Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. You've got to be living in the Word of God and prepared to edify with the truth of God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.2 the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You're living in the Word of God. You need to be communicating that Word. We have to give an account. And then ultimately to God Himself in Romans fourteen twelve, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. This is why we're not tearing one another down. We're building up one another. Because we're accountable. All right, trusting in the Lord prepares each believer to give an account. All right, well, this then finishes the introduction, 17 through 21. So next week we'll come back, we'll get to the first of the 30 sayings. And then, I don't know, can we do 30 sayings in, in 18 weeks in the Wednesdays that we have available? That's basically two sayings a week. I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to tell the Holy Spirit what He has to do. (laughs) Um, Because when we do get through the 30 sayings, then then we have six more. When you look at 24-23, it says, these also are the sayings of the wise. 
And that takes you from verse 23 down to verse 34. So that wraps up chapter 24. It would be really nice to take a year off and then come back after a year and start with Proverbs 25. I just don't know that we can get that far. That's, that's in the Lord's hands. So, All right. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. Thy word is truth. We commit to you all of our ways. And, uh, and we acknowledge you, Father. You will direct our steps. We're not going to lean on our own understanding, Father. We're just going to trust in you day by day. There's no better life. It is so pleasant. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.